3: Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions or life questions or pretty much whatever's on your heart and mind. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. Uh, if you are emailing questions, you can email questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app and send them in to us that way. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, You can, with the hands-free feature of your phone, just hit one button, call now, at the top of your screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. Tonight, I've got a Bible study in Isaiah chapters 56 and 57. Uh, Hard stuff, but some good stuff there. Um, Paula will be live in the studio with me tomorrow on the day-to-day edition of the program. So if you need any encouragement, ladies, especially for you, uh, she will be here and she will be available. One other thing before we go to the phones, we've got a couple of phone calls waiting. Um, Robert, who called, uh, you you left a message yesterday that you didn't get the name of the second book that I recommended. Uh, It's a book called why Grace Changes Everything. It's a wonderful read. Not a difficult read, uh, but, but really an encouraging read. Why Grace Changes Everything by Pastor Chuck Smith. Um, pastor Chuck is my pastor. He is, uh, was my pastor. He's now being pastored by Jesus in heaven. But uh, it is a wonderful book and a read that uh, your daughter would enjoy too, I think. So I hope that helps. Let's go right to phones. we got two people waiting. Let's go to Jim on line one from San Antonio. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hey, Pastor Ron. Thank you. Hi. I'm studying the book of John. I'm in chapter five. I get to verse 28 and 29 where Jesus is declaring his authority. God has given him to judge people. I don't really understand what he means by everybody's going to come out of the grave, and if you've done good, you will live, and if you've done evil, you'll be condemned. I'm really not following that. Is that about the second coming of Christ, uh, or do I, can, I, can I connect that into Revelations? That's my question.
3: Okay, thanks, Jim. Yeah, you can connect it to Revelation. Uh, but um, you, you've got to look at the context of the passage. Um, the, the context of the passage is the authority to judge. And he says the Father has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Um, and then he says, for do not be amazed at this, for time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Uh, those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. You remember in um, uh, also in John's Gospel when... Uh, Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, and he commanded that the stone be rolled away. The sisters, no, Lord, he stinks by now. And and uh, Jesus at the at the at the mouth of the 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 tomb cried, Lazarus, come forth. Um, and that's the picture here that's in view when we go back to chapter five. He's expressing his authority, and he and he said that a day is coming when everyone is going to be. Um, called by that same voice we're all going to be here that come in come forth and we're going to come for a time of judgment now in this particular case he's talking about uh, those who have died or who will die separate from him Um, um, and and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Uh, but this happens for Christians now um, Jim when we go to to, to, to have him be with him in the rapture or at our natural death uh, then we will give account 1 Corinthians chapter 3 of our works whether they were good for good works good for God, for God's glory or good for nothing works meaning we did them with the wrong motive or we did them our way instead of his way whatever the reason is but um, when he's talking about those who will come out uh, have done good good simply means in, in, in this Jewish context keeping the law and of course nobody could So doing good is believing, Jesus said, in the one that the Father sent. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the one the Father sent. So those who believe will rise to live forever. Those who have done evil, who have not come to know Jesus Christ, they will rise to be condemned. That judgment, Jim, will happen at the great white throne. Um, You can read about it in the latter part of Revelation, Revelation chapter twenty. Um, and and they will be condemned forever and ever and ever. Currently, the people who have died, lived and died, and, and died separate from Christ are in a place of torment. Um, Luke chapter 16 tells us about that place of torment. But at one point, Jesus is going to call everybody forth, and we're all going to stand in judgment. Uh, and uh, that's what Jesus is talking about here, the authority to judge. Jim, thank you very, very much. Good question. Keep reading. As you get on in John's, there's some really great stuff coming. Let's go to Anonymous on line two. Anonymous, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
2: Well, hello, Pastor. How's it going?
3: It's going well. How about you?
2: Well, I, have a, I have a question for you. You know, like okay. like you and I are Christians, and many of many other Christians know uh, the devil is out to destroy us. You know that, right? As a Christian, we yeah. un- we understand that. Yes, the devil he tries lots of tactics on me. So he tries to uh, like, like I know that Christ could come back at any time now, you know. But the devil doesn't want me to see it. He wants me to focus on what he's doing, and not on the, not on the fact that Christ could come back at any time now. Mm-hmm. So, Pastor, my question is: How do I get around that? That's very important to me. How do I get around the devil when he tries all that with me? I listen to your response on the radio, buddy.
3: Thank you, Anonymous. Appreciate the call. Uh, Anonymous, Peter talks about um, um, Satan and his approach to us. Uh, he says we're not, uh, he's not, uh, or we're not, as believers, unaware of his schemes. He's always scheming. This is Peter Peter 5. He's always scheming. Now, he's not super original. He doesn't try a bunch of new stuff because he doesn't have to. The old stuff keeps working. So what we have to do is discipline ourselves. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And as we discipline ourselves in the Word, washing daily with the water of the Word, um, having our minds transformed by the renewing or the making new of our minds, new thinking, um, we simply have to arm ourselves for His attacks. We've got to learn to discern um, His voice uh, versus the voice of God we have to be uh, able to identify who our enemy is, and we have to understand the nature of the lies or the threats that he's trying. Now, again, he's never going to stop trying to kill, to rob, to steal, and destroy. He's never going to stop. But we need not worry about it, because he who is in us, First John says, is greater than he who is in this world. So the devil deserves our respect. He is powerful. And, and he uh, is, a, I've said many times, the greatest student of human psychology that's ever lived. Um, but he can't read our minds. And so what we do is we take those thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ. And when we do that, um, then the devil has no more opportunity to attack. Now he's not going to give up. But we can close those doors. Now, there's one other thing I want to say here in Ottomans that's very important. Uh, If somebody is in sin, the devil has been given an opportunity to destroy us. And we've got to understand that the Bible says flee from those things, uh, trust in the Lord, run to Jesus, and then the devil will flee from us. But if we're going to have that kind of authority, then we've got to be walking in righteousness with the Lord. So I hope that helps Anonymous. Good question, as always. Let's go to Reuben calling from Seguin on line three. Reuben, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
2: God bless you, Pastor. How are you doing today?
3: I'm doing well, Reuben. How about you?
2: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, you actually answered some of my question, and then uh, you said something towards the end uh, that kind of, Scared to me but my uh um i think i think i've told you before that i i deal with a certain sin that that uh well yeah the thing that I emailed you about and uh i i i can't i i I fight it every single day and finally i spoke to the pastors last night and because i just like the preachings that they've been me or telling me that you have to get purged and that you have to get your lays. They told me basically is that what they have to do is they have to come and put their hands on me. I have to get purged and that I have to be set free and I have to have that that that, that spirit out of me. It has to be cast out of me and I have to throw it up out of me. You know, like literally I mean, because that's how I grew up. The way spirits came out were that you would throw what they would throw it up. Up or something. I, I just I never understood it, but they said that that's what they need. They need to do that. They need to put pour oil oil on me, and you know, uh, cast that spirit out of me. Well, every day I I pray against it, and I you know, and for the past week or so, it's hitting me more and more intensely. And I don't understand why, if I'm praying and I'm reading, and I'm, I'm trying hard, Pastor, I'm trying so hard to live my life the way that God wants me to, but I just keep falling, Pastor, and I'm just like, you know, what do I do? What record? I'm just like at the end of my rope, and so I told them, and this is what they told me to do, that I had to get set free and delivered that way, and that's the only way it's going to go away.
3: Yeah, Ruben, you've sort of raised the stakes here a little bit in terms of the church that you're going to, because uh, what the the, the counsel they're giving you is not just wrong; it's dangerous. Um, You know, they're completely forgetting what Christ has already done. You know, whenever you talk about deliverance ministries, uh, we have been delivered once for all. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that our flesh is is weak. It doesn't mean that our flesh is not weak. Uh, and and that sometimes we're going to fail, but what it means is that Jesus has done all the delivering that we need to do. Now I understand in this charismatic world that we live in in, in the church these days, uh, people want to take authority and they want to cast out demons and they want to, uh, but 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 with no foundation biblically whatsoever. Um, they're causing people a lot of damage, a lot of damage, and Reuben. This, this church has now been elevated to a place where it is the danger to you because they're not teaching you what God has already done. They're teaching you what you need to do or what they need to do. Now, I can tell you why the devil keeps tempting you because it's working. But that's why you've got to have a foundation in the word. Um, you know, we can take thoughts captive, uh, but we have to know what the word says. We've got to replace the things that we're being tempted with by the promises of God. And, and it's, it's not something emotional that we can do. It's not something uh, that anybody can do for us. Um, um, it, it's something that Jesus has already done. And so when we are tempted, I, I, I know I've given this verse to you before, but, but the, the, the promise of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 uh, is yours to, to believe. Um, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And and what that means is that while you are being tempted, then the Holy Spirit, you know, um, um, James says that we resist the devil and he will flee. But here's the thing, when the devil is tempting us and we're focused only on what we're being tempted to do, well, the devil's actually got the upper hand because Jesus is somewhere in the background. So what we have to do is when we're being tempted by the devil, when we're being lied to by the devil, what we've got to do is let Jesus take care of those things. And so we replace the thoughts that the enemy is bringing with our thoughts about Jesus. Consider Jesus, Hebrews says over and over. Uh, let us, there's a, I call it the salad bar section of Hebrews. There's actually two of them. Um, and and in both cases, Reuben. Uh, it, it gives you a sort of a formulaic approach to coming near to the Lord. Um, when the devil lies to me, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to listen to him. So, what I do, instead of focusing on what he's saying, I, I, I ask the Lord for more strength to focus on him, on his person. And it's the person of Jesus that saves, it's the person of Jesus that delivers. It's the power of Jesus that overcomes sin and temptation. So instead of focusing on the lies of the enemy and the thing you're being tempted with, what you do is simply say, Lord, what I want to do right now is draw close to you. You open your Bible and you start reading. Wherever you left off reading before, you start reading. And and uh, eventually the enemy is going to understand that every time he lies to you, it's going to end up with you in prayer to, with the Lord, or it's going to end up with you in the Word of God. Those are the two things that he doesn't want to do. Let me give you an illustration that I hope will help, Reuben. Um, I've had a lot of people, you know, when, when uh, people get saved, we've had people delivered from all kinds of things. I mean, uh, severe drug addiction, and instantly uh, upon conversion, they were healed, instantly. Uh, and some of the same people will come back to me and say, but Pastor Ron, I can't get rid of cigarettes. You know, God help me kick heroin, but I, but I can't get rid of cigarettes. And I always tell people that God leaves certain things in our lives because we can beat him. And he uses those things to teach us how to fight with his partnership. And the problem when somebody's trying to stop smoking, all they can think about is, I want a cigarette, I need a cigarette, and then they'll start, I'm not going to have a cigarette, I'm not going to have a cigarette. And I keep telling them, don't think about the cigarette, think about Jesus. He's the source of power. And I think, Reuben, one of the things that you have to learn to to accept, I, I learned it a long time ago, is that we have no willpower to resist. And that's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to get us to fight him on his terms. In our own strength where he has the upper hand. But if we learn to fight him in the power that God has given us, and that's not shouting, it's not emotional, it's simply refocusing on the promises he's made us, believing them by faith, and replacing that place or time of temptation with his word. That same verse, first Corinthians ten thirteen says that when you are tempted, God will provide a way out so that you can overcome the temptation and so the temptation that you're dealing with is something that that we all have uh, and yet we have to replace it with the things of God one final thought here Reuben that's really important, Paul says that sin shall no longer be your master and anytime we find ourselves continually being mastered by a particular sin, well that's when we've got to to, to to decide are we going to believe the temptation that we're facing or are we going to believe the promise of God sin shall no longer be my master I refuse to be controlled by anything else and what I want to do is I want to cling so closely to Jesus when I am being tempted that I don't cross that line I don't fall in and then as you begin to experience victory over temptation uh, then what you'll learn is that God has taught you how to fight so, Reuben, we're praying for you. Get out of that church. It's a horrible, horrible church. Cut off all ties with them. And um, 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 yeah, Jesus <laughs> has done everything that needs to be done, okay?
2: Okay, sir. Thank you. Oh, just really, really quick. What was that scripture mm-hmm. that you referred to The the that you called the buffet, the salad buffet in Hebrews?
3: Uh, there's, there's two of them. One's in, in Hebrews chapter 12. The other one, I think, is back in chapter Three or four, uh, I'd have to look at it uh, real quick. But it just says, "Let us," and then there's some instructions. And and why that's important is because uh, the writer of Hebrews, who I believe to be the Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews, was writing to a persecuted, discouraged, defeated group of Christians, and he was telling them how to overcome. Uh, those trials. So just uh, okay. look in, in Hebrews and in the place that says, let us. Okay. Uh, I think I will I'll find it. it. Hebrew, Hebrews chapter 4 is my what my producer is saying now. And okay. Hebrews chapter 12. Okay?
2: 12. All right, thank you, sir. God bless you.
3: Thanks, Reuben. You too. Three four Let's go back to San Antonio and talk with Zeke on line one. Zeke, thanks for being patient. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Pastor Ron. Hi Zeke.
2: Hey, a uh, couple questions I'd like to hear you shine some of your light on. Um, kind of a two-part question. The first one was, uh, why are there so many congregations with different beliefs when there is only one Word of God? And another part to that would be, um, do you believe has misrepresentation of God and Jesus Christ turned people away from Christianity? And I'd like to add, I guess, not only turn people away from Christianity, but those that are also uh, believers and trying to follow his way, is it misconstruing their idea of who God and Jesus really are? And I'll listen.
3: I can do that. Thank you very much. I appreciate the call. I appreciate the questions. Um, Why are there so many different denominations, different doctrinal positions, when there's only one word. Zeke, the word of God is perfect, and our human understanding is not. Uh, we have um, all kinds of different personalities. We come from different backgrounds, uh, different experiences, and so we all approach Scripture through our own lens. Now, uh, that's a natural, normal thing to do, but what we have to do, and that's why we're told to study to show ourselves approved, Workmen rightly dividing the word of God is if we're going to overcome those things then what we have to do is find out what God's perspective on the scriptures is the answers are in the word sometimes we just don't get them you know you just listened to the previous call and and I said that the the caller there was in a church that is dangerous Um, there's a lot of different approaches a lot of different motives for the word uh, there's a lot of people who want to shout and spit and sweat and, and instead of really digging into the Word and finding out what God says. A lot of people want easy answers. My point is that while the Word is perfect, our understanding of the Word is not. And until we learn to view um, the Scriptures through a systematic theology, and I don't mean find a systematic theology and then uh, then look at the Scriptures through it, but I mean read, study our Bibles on a consistent basis, and develop a systematic theology that is biblical. And when we do that, then we begin to have understanding, we can look at context, and the truth is that there's just a lot of different approaches that people have. Now, it's also true, Zeke, that um, there are things that we're free to disagree on that are secondary or even tertiary um, um, doctrines. Uh, it is not necessary uh, to, to have a consistent view, for example, on the gift of tongues. Um, there are people that believe that tongues are for today. Uh, I, of course, do. There are people that believe there is no um, gift of tongues today, no sign gifts today. And I can say you're wrong, but it's not something that we would split over or divide over. Um, if somebody says, well, I don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, well, then there's something that we cannot uh, uh, disagree on. Uh, that's, that's an issue to, to, to divide over. Uh, so we have to keep the, the, the primary core essentials of Christianity, and Christians are defined by those core essentials. Jesus was a human. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was without sin because his father was God uh, because he was born to a virgin. Um, God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, God is holy and God is just. All those core doctrines. If you don't believe in those things, then in fact you're not a Christian by definition. But real Christians disagree on certain things. What we have to do is hold Fast to the essentials, give people liberty to believe different doctrines on the non-essentials, and still somehow understand that we're one with them. Uh, We're never going to agree on all of those things. At the same time, um, part of the test of our maturity is can we love other brothers and sisters in the Lord um, when they disagree with us on those secondary or tertiary doctrinal positions. I'll get to the other question on the other side of the break. Zeke, thank you very much. You're listening to the word to stand up for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
3: Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. Zeke, let me get to your other question, and and I could spend a whole hour on this. I won't. I'll spare everybody. Uh, We'll take other questions and phone calls. But Zeke's question is, do I think that, that misrepresenting Christ, uh, Christians and churches, do I think that that's turned people away? And uh, the answer is clearly. Now, I want to, at the beginning of my answer, say this, Zeke. Not only has people uh, have people turned others away from Christ because of our hypocritical behavior, because of our lukewarm relationship with God, Um, uh, You know, people go into churches and churches, uh, you hear this from unbelievers all the time. All they want is my money. Um, Yes, we're turning people away from God over and over and over and over. However, and this is really important before the rest of this discussion, that does not mean the people have an excuse for turning away from God. Anybody that would look at my life instead of looking at Jesus' life is going to find faults. I'm going to disappoint people at some point or another. I'm always going to come up short. Uh, It's it's horrible when it happens, but we're all humans. There were people that were disappointed in the Apostle Paul. There were people that that were, were out to get him. But you see, they're still responsible to God to find out who he is. And most often, Zeke, when I find somebody who says, well, you know, I'd go to church but Christians are such hypocrites, um, most of the time they're not being honest. They're simply not being honest. So, yes, we have turned people away from Christ. However, they're still accountable to God for what they do with this gift that we know as Jesus Christ. Now, let's get a little bit more specific, and I promise I won't go off on this, but Let's think about a marriage, a Christian marriage. It's something that we're all familiar with and, and uh, you know, we, we we struggle in our marriages. But, but imagine you've got people in your neighborhood, you've got friends, you've got people at your work, you invite them to go to church with you. You want them to come to Christ, but especially your neighbors or even closer than the neighbors, your children in your home, they hear mom and dad argue. They hear mom and dad say terrible things about one another and terrible things to one another. They hear unkindness and they hear this horrible volume and, and, and at some point, oh, and they call themselves Christians kind of thing. So yeah, we need to be aware of our witness uh, in the workplace. Um, we're Christians, we're talking about Jesus, but we're lazy at work. We don't give our employers a full day's work for whatever it is we've agreed to work for in terms of pay. How many times as Christians do we, instead of doing the work that we're assigned to do, we sit down and play with our phones or computers? You know, that's really stealing from our employer. Or we look for shortcuts. Or maybe we just grumble and complain about how underpaid or underappreciated we are. And you see, when we behave like that, people seeking Jesus are going to be turned off. So in short, Zeke, what we need to do is find that our life is lived in such a way. Jesus said it this way, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. I think what we do too often is we live the way we want. We kind of expect, okay, God, well, I'm praying for him, or I'm telling him about you. But but we've got to make our Jesus attractive. I was talking with Robert on the phone uh, day before yesterday, Zeke, and when his situation is home, uh, we talked about it. He called back yesterday, and, and he said, you know, I had to do a lot of repenting because I'm responsible for my daughter falling away a little bit. See, that's the first thing we've got to do, especially as parents. I don't know what kind of home you were raised in, Zeke, but in my home, my mom and dad argued. And when they argued, it was usually because they drank a little bit too much. Um, they would get really loud. And I remember how traumatized I was as a child over that. And I overreacted. You know, when I got married to Paula, and she's, she didn't hide anything. She's, what you see is what you get. And, and I would just stop her in her tracks. We're not going to argue. No arguing in this house. I'm not going to have my children listening to their mom and dad do those things. Um, there were a lot of years, a lot of years, when I would blame me not going to church on all of the hypocrites that I knew were there. Uh, I think Christians who are um, bigoted, prejudiced, I think we misrepresent the Lord, and that turns a lot of people off. I think we have this double standard when it comes to our current president. Uh, I think we're so happy that we have a conservative president who believes in the same core values that we believe in, but we support him with such vigor that it looks to the world like we're supporting him in his sin. And I think what we got to do if we're going to witness for Jesus is we got to be honest about things. It's it's great to say that, you know, I voted for this president and I'm glad he won. But when he said this, that was sin. When he said this, that was unkind. When he's focused on himself, that's not going to get the job done. I mean, think about it, what this president has going for him I mean, he has one of the opportunities to be, he's had an opportunity to be one of the greatest presidents of, of uh, in our history. And he's ruined it with his sin. Now, everybody sins, I understand. But remember Jesus' words, who much is given, much is required. We who are Christians, Zeke, who have been given more than anybody else, we are accountable to God to live our faith in such a way that everybody can see it. And then when we're doing that, then when we share our words, then our words will have the power of the Holy Spirit. Great question, Zeke. And I, again, I could do uh, an hour on both of those questions, but uh, but I hope that answers. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Kevin. He says, uh, Pastor Ron, if someone believes that baptism is required for salvation... Do they believe in a work salvation, and are they really saved? Um, Kevin, I don't think in most cases they don't believe in a work salvation. They don't look at baptism as a work. uh, Rather, they look at it as uh, an obedient response. However, if they believe that you have to be baptized to get saved, then they're, they're believing in works. So it is a works gospel message that they're communicating. Um, But still, I believe that many of them, if not most of them, are saved. I think baptism is one of those doctrines that we can be wrong on, and it's not going to cost us our eternal life with Jesus. Uh, They're wrong. They need to study their Bibles to show themselves approved. They need to read the context. They need to take the Bible as a whole and, and come up with a systematic theology based on what the Bible says. Um, but I personally, Kevin, don't believe uh, the Church of Christ here in Texas is is active. And while I think there are lots and lots of problems with the Church of Christ, I can say unequivocally that that most of the people I've met from a Church of Christ background are saved. I think they're wrong about some things. I think they uh, are missing out on a lot of the things that bring joy to our hearts. At the same time, uh, baptism is important, uh, but it isn't essential for salvation. And I don't think, Kevin, the the fact that they're wrong about that disqualifies them from heaven. I've said this on this program many, many times, but I believe with all of my heart, that we get to heaven, we're going to find a whole lot of people there whose doctrine was really bad. So um, that's the best I can do. Uh, There are cultish churches of Christ, and there are other cults that believe baptism is essential, not only baptism, but you have to be baptized by them. Uh, Those people are not saved. Uh, they change the character and nature of God. So people can be wrong, um, but, but there's some things they can't be wrong about. So I hope that's clear. You do not have to be baptized to get saved, but I will also say that if you are really saved, you'll get baptized. Why wouldn't you? I mean, it's something that Jesus said to do, and uh, when you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you call him Lord, that means he's the boss. So I hope that's important. Uh, an answer. Here's a question from Matt. Um, Pastor on Jesus said we are to go and sin no more. So why do we keep sinning if we have the Holy Spirit? Why is sinning okay uh, sometimes? Um, Matt, sinning is never okay. It's never okay. But remember John, uh, the same author who said Uh, in the first chapter, the ninth verse, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. He then goes on to say that if we say we're without sin, we're a liar, and the truth isn't in us. So when Jesus said that we're to go and sin no more, certainly that's the directive. Uh, He he said that to to, uh, the woman caught in the act of adultery. He said the same thing Uh, just using slightly different words, uh, to the man at the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 5, who was healed, he had to find him the next day and tell him, now go and stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. The reason that we keep sinning is because we have flesh. Um, We're not going to be perfect until we are perfected, and we're only going to be perfected, Matt, when we're with Jesus. When we, we shed this old flesh... The old man is completely gone. Now, the, the the crucifixion of Christ has killed the old man in us. His being raised from the dead puts the stamp of authority on that. But But our flesh just wins sometimes. And I think too often our flesh wins because we're not in the Word. I think our flesh wins because we're focusing on carnal things, things that appeal to our flesh. We're focusing on um, a certain temptation. I was talking with Reuben earlier. Um, We sin because our flesh is weak. I think also we sin because we don't know the promises God has made us. We sin because we feed our flesh instead of feeding our spirit. I think we sin because we compromise and we give the devil an opportunity to destroy us. I think we sin, Matt, because so few churches are teaching the Word. Think about this. Churches really don't talk much about sin anymore. Now, we do because I teach through the Bible. I, I don't skip anything. I'm not trying to figure out today what theme I'm going to preach on, on on Sunday. I'm going to be in Matthew or I'm sorry Luke chapter 19 and we're going to start Sunday where we left off last Sunday. And whatever it is, and this week happens to be the triumphal entry of the Lord, but whatever it is, That's what I'm going to teach. If it's really good news, great. If people leave here feeling so exhorted and so encouraged, that's wonderful. But if they come, and I'm teaching about sin, I'm teaching about obedience, I'm teaching about the holiness of God, they're going to leave having been convicted. And it's really important that we respond to that conviction. So we keep sinning because we're flesh. Uh, but it's never okay to sin, and I think that distinction, Matt, is really, really important. Let's go to a phone call. Let's talk to Teresa on line one. Teresa, thank you for calling. You're on the air.
1: Yes, Pastor, I um wanted you to ask, tell us what what was the sin that Donald Trump has done that has been so um you know terrible that all the the good qualities of pro life. The pro-America, the pro—I mean, I just really like to know because I've encountered Christians before who will trip over this tiny little um, cuss word or something, and and they call that just—and they'll they'll vote for a socialist over um, a man who basically loves America. I just wonder if you could tell me what was the sin that he did. um, Is you know, I'm just curious because I, I I think this is something important. To address, Christians will trip over small things and forget the
3: huge, beautiful things. Yeah, Teresa, I can do that. Thank you very, very much. And uh, you take the the question off the air. You've called before, Um, you know, I want our president to rightly represent Christ, but he's got to be a Christian. He's not a Christian and he's got to he's got to be a Christian. Now, I'm grateful that he's pro-life. I'm really, truly grateful that he's pro-life. I'm grateful that he is, um, I, I can't say he's he's anti-gay marriage. Uh, I, I know philosophically he is, but, but it's the law of the land. I'm, I'm grateful that he is um, a man who upholds basic conservative values. But what you don't understand is the damage he's doing to the unbelieving world out there. Now, I would never, and I, I want this clear, so I'm not going to speak for the world. Uh, I want this to be clear. I'm speaking for me. I would never vote for a pro-abortion candidate, not ever under any circumstances. I wouldn't vote for a socialist. I wouldn't vote for uh, when, when Mitt Romney was running for president. I wouldn't vote for him because as a Mormon, every time he talks about God, he's blaspheming the name of my Jesus. So I wouldn't vote for him, even though his basic conservative values lined up more closely with mine and what I would call consider biblical values. What Donald Trump has done over and over and over is expressed a harshness and unkindness, a contempt for um, pretty much anyone and everyone who disagrees he has dishonored the office of the presidency with his conduct and his behavior Uh, and I think it is hypocritical for Christians like you and me Teresa to say just because he's pro-life it's almost like pro-life trumps every other sin and it doesn't that's like the guy who says the, the husband who says well you know so I look at pornography every night I don't actually physically cheat on my wife ask his wife how she feels about that, or a guy who says, "Well, you know, it's no big deal." So I smoke a little marijuana, or I do a little, uh, I drink a little bit too much because it makes me relax. A Christian can't do those things. And Donald Trump, as I said earlier, with the great things he's done, has had a chance, an opportunity to be, I think, one of the greatest presidents of our time. And his ego, his pride, his being so blustery, uh, his being unkind, the things he has said about women which are reported ad nauseum. The fact that he is an adulterer, an admitted adulterer, a man who has admitted to paying hush money to women that he's had affairs with. I would suggest to you that in God's eyes, sexual sin is a greater sin even than than being pro-abortion. And it is hypocritical to the extreme, Teresa, to support a man. Again, I can support his policies, and, and, and chances are, Uh, I'll vote for him again unless the Republicans get some sense and and nominate somebody else who's pro-life. I'll probably vote for him again. But you don't give. As a Christian, you don't have the freedom to give people passes on sin. There's no degree of sin in the sense that, well, you know, he does big things well, but these little sins that are constant in his life, that seems to be okay. That is an argument that disgusts people and uh, the question Zeke had do, do we do we m- by misrepresenting Christ do we turn people away? Uh, the fact that that we are so effusive in our support as Christians, many of us, for this president without ever calling him on his faults is the height of hypocrisy. And what you should do regarding this president, is pray first that he would get saved, that he would surrender his heart to Jesus Christ, and then that every day in his office with this magnificent public platform God has given him, that he would honor God with everything he did, that he wouldn't be a man who, who is, in the big things he's okay, but in the little things, well, you know we got to overlook those little things, it just doesn't work that way, Teresa, you need to really, really, really read your Bible. You need to get Jesus' heart. And let me tell you this, and this will be my last comment. Jesus loves Donald Trump so much. It is an amazing thing today, just today. Donald Trump called people, Republicans, who say they won't vote for him. He called them the scum of the earth. His words. Another tweet. Christians can't talk like that. Am I glad he's pro-life? You bet I am. But what I want for this president is I want a living, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ, and he doesn't have it. So, Teresa, I know I anger you every time I say something like that, uh, but the truth is um, we're supposed to be representing Jesus, not representing an evangelical Christian ideal when it comes to politics. I also told you this, and I said I wouldn't, I'd end with that, maybe I should, but let me just say one other thing. I know a whole lot of real Christians who are so put off by this president's behavior that they're going to be pushed. Again, I think wrongly, but they're going to be pushed into voting for anyone other than him. And the position you take is judging their salvation, Teresa. That's a dangerous place for you to be. Hope that makes sense to you. I hope you will consider that prayerfully. We are about four minutes left, I think, in the program. So, yeah, let me get to another question here. And then, um, well, here's a good question for this conversation. Again, this is from Joshua. What do you think is the greatest threat to Christianity today? Um, I think the greatest threat to Christianity today, Joshua's lukewarm Christians. I think it's a threat to Christianity, those Christian uh, the, the process as their security instead of Jesus Christ. Let me give you one other thing here. When we're lukewarm, when we're compromised Christians the message that we're sending in this world is is the worst possible message. Our message is that we're serving an impotent God, a God that might rescue us from hell, but a God who won't rescue us from ourselves. And I think that is the single biggest threat. Jesus is the one who is the sustainer of his church. The gates of hell will not prevail. The remnant will always survive but our concern should be much more for people who are lost the people that Teresa was talking about who are pro-abortion they're not the enemies of our ministry they're the objects of our ministry I think the fact that the church has so little love and I only am speaking about our nation it's amazing somebody can call themselves a Christian and be hateful in behavior Towards illegal immigrants now I'm not for illegal immigration but I'm sure for the people because that's the heart of God and Joshua I think the fact that we are so duplicitous in our behavior the fact that we lack love to such a degree that the world is not able to see the love of Jesus Christ as we walk down the street and what I want everybody to see when they look in my eyes when they look into my heart I want them to see the heart of Jesus. And when I'm arguing about politics, when I'm arguing about some difference in doctrine, when I'm judging people, um, they don't see that. You know, our gospel message doesn't need to be defended, it just needs to be declared. The other threat is biblical illiteracy and compromise. So Joshua, I hope that helps. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. Thank you for the calls. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the Date day edition of the program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'll be back tomorrow at a.m. 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4